Let's read Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 13. Who's speaking here? How do you know? It's in red. That's right. He always talked in red. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. All right, now I teach this all the time, but it's real important that, that if somebody talks to you, you can explain it. In this, when Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world, who's he talking to? Well, who, who was he talking to in those days? The Jews. Okay, why was he telling the Jews that they were the light of the world? Because it goes back to Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy, the Lord said to the Jewish people, if you'll keep my commandments, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And the Jews said, we'll do it. Now, why did they say that? Because Israel was in slavery in Egypt how many years? 400 years. For 400 years, they've been away from God. 400 years slavery, 400 years abuse, 400 years paganism, 400 years of sin. So they had no idea how to serve God. And so God comes and delivers them out of Pharaoh's hand. They leave with all the silver and all the gold, 400 years back wages. God takes them into the desert. 40 days later, God meets with Moses on the the mountain, and God says to the Jews, if you'll keep my commandments, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And they said, that's a no-brainer. We just saw you turn the river into blood. We saw you deliver us from Pharaoh's hand. We saw you cause the Egyptians to give us all their silver and all their gold. We're going to do whatever you tell us to do. We're going to keep your commandments. And so then God said, if you keep my commandments, the Gentiles will see the blessing of God on you, and they will say, surely no nation has God which is amongst his people always like these people. And so this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking not to Gentiles. Now, he's talking to us now also because we've been grafted into this family. But when Jesus was saying Matthew, and I know you've heard me say it, but it's amazing how, how the Christian world has been so brainwashed that it takes a little while to, for it to get in. When Jesus was ta- is talking here in Matthew, there was no Christian church. Can I have an amen? In these last days, you and I are studying to rightly understand how the Word of God works. So as Jesus, our Messiah, the King of Kings, is speaking here, and he is saying to people, you are the light of the world. We didn't make you the light to put that light under a bushel. You're to be the light, and if you're not being the light, if you're not being the salt, what good are you? Are you you following me? Now, you've got to understand what we're teaching here 
is history changing. We can change the world on this. So when Jesus is saying to the Jew, you're the light of the world, and the Jew, after Babylon, said, we're going to not touch the Gentiles anymore. We're not going to reach the Gentiles anymore because every time we get around the Gentiles, we backslide. And so Jesus comes because we had, the Gentiles had no hope of finding the Word of God because the Jews had decided to keep it from us. Are you with me? The church has done the same thing. The church has said, God's done with the Jews. The Jews said, God's done with the Gentiles. The the church said, God's done with the Jews. So we have gone full circle in that now the Lord is saying to you and I, you are the light of the world. If you don't reach the world with the gospel, what good are you? To be the light of the world, we have to add to our faith their knowledge. All right, so now watch what it says. Look at verse 15. Do, do, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Verse 17, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, see, what has the church said? I, in my whole life, I've heard these words. We're not under the curse of the law. And in that, the church is saying that all of the law or following the law is under a curse. Now, now look at me. We're schizophrenic. Now, I'm going to show you this in some really neat things on Sunday, but I want to get this down to where you live so that you can answer people. Okay, here Jesus says, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. The better translation out of Greek is, I did not come to destroy the law, the teachings of the Torah, or the prophets. I came to show you how to walk on it. Because they were binding men up with heavy burdens. They were turning man-made laws into God-made laws that overrode the Word of God. Now look at what it says here. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth passes away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. A jot or a tittle in, in the Torah, it may take, for a Torah to be, to be kosher, it has to be handwritten. And a rabbi may take, a scribe may take two years writing handwriting the Torah. If he gets down to the last page and he makes a mistake in a jot, a comma, or a period, then it makes the whole thing unkosher. So Jesus is addressing their legalism on this so that they can understand, for surely I say to you, till heaven and earth passes away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law 
till all is fulfilled. Now look at verse 19 because this really relates to you and I. Whosoever therefore breaks one of the least commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now look at the next verse. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. All right, now here's how confusing it is. Okay, unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we don't go to heaven. If that's what it means, then it negates that we're saved by faith. Do you understand? How are you saved? By faith, not by works. And yet Jesus comes here and said, I did not come to do away with the law. And unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not going to heaven. How how does that work? We're saved by faith not by works. Then the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. As a matter of fact, if anybody teaches anything but the law, they're going to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, to a person that doesn't know the Bible, and to many that do, that's kind of confusing. At one moment, it sounds like we're saved by just believing, and the next moment it says we don't go to the kingdom of heaven unless our righteousness exceeds the, the righteousness of the Pharisees. How do we explain that? Watch me. Watch me. Everything God ha- does has two parts. What are they? The spiritual and the physical. If you'll, you know, there are, there are four ways to study the Word of God. Now, I can't get into those with you right now because we'd have to do a Hebrew class. There are four ways to study the, the things of God. There is what's on the surface. That's the milk. Then you get deeper and deeper and deeper. But we've not been taught how to do that. Here's the very beginning of understanding the Word of God. Everything God teaches us has the heavenly and the earthly. So if Jesus says here, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He is not talking about the kingdom of heaven in eternity. In heaven, he's talking about thy kingdom come... Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus here is saying something to us. He's saying, I have not come to do away with the Torah, but I've come to show you how to walk on it. Now, first off, you've got to remember he's not talking to us yet. He's talking to Jews. And Jews have been given the path the Torah, but man has come and bind them up with heavy burdens that nobody can do it. 
Okay, remember what I read, and I'll read it a Sunday. Remember what I read about washing your hands? Okay, so God comes and delivers the people from Egypt. He brings them out of bondage. He brings them all the end time transfer of wealth, the wealth of the wicked into their hands. And then he says, now I'm going to show you how to live. I'm going to give you the Torah. I'm going to give you a path that you can walk on. Not to get to heaven, not to earn freedom. They were already delivered by grace. But now that you're delivered, let me show you how to walk. Not to get to heaven, but that you may have a good and a long life here on earth. Okay? Let me, let me give you the heavenly and spiritually. If a man says he loves God, the heavenly, but he doesn't love his brother, the earthly, he's not telling the truth, and the truth cannot get in him. If I lift up my hands and worship God, God inhabits the praises of his people. That's the heavenly. But if I gossip about my brother, that's the earthly, and a tree cannot bear sweet fruit and bitter fruit. And because if I gossip about my brother, whatever I say, my words are seeds, and the Lord of the harvest will make sure they spring back up into my life. So God gives us laws, not to get us into heaven, but he gives us laws so that we can do two things, love God and love our neighbor. So when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, he's not talking about legalism. The word righteous in Hebrew is the word is the word for charity or kindness or steadkah. And so what he's saying is, is you can have it all on the outside. You can be doing everything to the letter of the law, but unless your kindness, your goodness towards others exceeds these Pharisees, then you're like them, you're a whited tomb on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. So every law, every law that God gives us does two things. It teaches us to love God, and it teaches us to love each other. It teaches us that God cares for us, and it teaches us to care for our neighbor. Every law is there to teach us how to live. To love God, to thank God, and then to take care of... Now, remember, every law spiderwebs, okay? So it's not enough that, that God takes care of me. I got to take care of you. You got to take care of your neighbor. Your neighbor's got to take care of the environment. The environment, you know, we got to take care of the animals. We are to be the representation of God on this earth, and the best way to do that is through acts of kindness. Are you with me? Okay, let me give you an example. In the Middle East, um, where it's hot, the custom was to build houses that are flat-roofed. 
And so they would build houses that are flat-roofed, and then the law came in that said if you, if you have your children on a flat roof, put a wall or a fence around the roof. That has nothing to do with going to heaven. That's just common sense so your children don't fall off the roof. Okay? God came and said, there's a million of you leaving Egypt. Here's a law. Don't put the odd houses upstream. No, that's what he said. You got to put them so far from camp and don't put them upstream. Because if you put the outhouses upstream, the water tastes funny. Are, are you following me? And so when the church says we're not under the curse of the law, it does not mean that we have no laws to follow because if we have no laws to follow, then we are lawless. And that's what's happening with the church. Because of the misunderstanding of these scriptures, because of the misunderstanding of what I taught on Sunday, we have, we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, and so now we got people that say, well, it, it doesn't matter if we commit adultery, it doesn't matter if we worship idols, I guess it doesn't matter if we pay our tithes, it doesn't matter if we forgive our neighbor, and God in these last days is bringing us back on the path so that the blessing of God, not to get to heaven, but the blessing of God can come upon us. Okay, now let me say it again because we're going to go over it deeper on Sunday. There is no word for legalism in the Greek language. So when Paul is writing or Jesus is writing about the law, the word law for the law of man and the word law for the law of God are the same word, pneumos. So for Paul to let it be known to us that he's talking about not the laws of God, but the laws of man that, that they built upon it. Remember what I taught on Sunday? God says, uh, let me see if I have it here. God says, don't, make sure you wash your hands. Good idea? Okay, good idea? The guy who's making your pizza ought to wash his hands? Good idea? Okay, so man came and built a fence around it. And so he added legalism to it. Let me read it again. I may read it Sunday, but I'll read it again. God's, the Torah simply says, before you eat, wash your hands. Wash them with, with, with running water. Why? Well, because you don't want to... You got to understand, they didn't know about germs. They didn't know about bacteria. So if God would have just said, wash your hands, they may have gotten a bowl and, and 40 people washed their hands in that same bowl even in a baptism tank. In order for a baptism tank to be proper, it needs to have running water, living water. Okay, why? Have you ever been, in the, have you ever been the 30th in the baptismal tank? Gross. So you want that water cleansing itself. And everybody said... Amen. Some people you want to say, here's some soap while you're in there. Let's do double duty in there. Amen. So the Lord said, wash your hands before you eat and wash them with with running water. In other words, don't wash in dirty water. So man came and made it into legalism. Let me read it again. 
Here's, here's how God's word says wash it and wash it in running water or, or from clean water into a bowl. So man came together and put that fence around and said, let me read again. If a man poured water over one hand with a single rinsing, his hand is clean. But if over both hands with a single rinsing, uh, the rabbi declares them unclean unless he pours them over a quarter log or more. If a loaf of heaven offering fell on the water, it remains clean, but then the rabbi can declare it unclean. For if he pours the first water over one place and the second water over another place and the loaf of heave offering fell on the first water, then that first water becomes unclean. But if it fell on the second, it remained clean. So if he poured both the first water and the second water over the same place of the loaf of heaven offering and it fell upon it of the heave offering, it becomes then unclean. But if he poured the first water over his hands and a piece of wood or gravel was found on his hands, then his hands thou remains unclean. This is why Jesus said, don't bind men up with heavy burdens. This is why he said, our fathers were not able to carry these things. He's not talking about our fathers weren't able to carry, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Our fathers were not able to carry, thou shalt not steal. Every law God gave to us, Paul said, it is good and it is holy. It's the man-made law that nobody can, you can not only not do this, I don't even know what it means. And multiply this by 613 times. And this is only part of it. I mean, it goes on and on and on about washing. So, so Jesus is not saying, so when people say, oh, I hear Pastor Larry's teaching legalism. They say, no, no, he's teaching the word of God. Amen. Well, the Bible says we're not under the curse of the law. See, the, the, whenever a pastor says that to me, I say, well, do you teach your people to tithe? Well, yeah. Where'd you get that from? Oh, the law. Oh, so this is a smorgasbord table of laws. We, we, can, we want this one. The tithing one, that's the roast beef one. The remember the Sabbath, Brussels sprouts. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have, this has been mistaught for 1,700 years and it's not till right now that God is allowing the church to turn this thing back over. Why? Because we have got, for the Messiah to come back, we have got to tear down that middle wall so that Jew and Gentile can worship together the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, doesn't that make a little more sense when Paul says to us in Romans 11, he said, God cut them off. The, the, the Jew, in part. Why? Because they, they quit being the light of the world. And so then he says to us, don't you get caught up in pride saying, we don't have to follow these either, lest God cuts you off too. And so what's happened is, is Israel has never been cut off. Never been cut off. That's like saying God will save everybody except his own people. Israel's never been cut off. The Bible doesn't say they've been cut off. Paul said they were cut off in part. 
Why? Because they stopped bringing the, 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 the light to the world by the blessing that comes from being on the path. You and I, for 1,700 years, have been cut off in part because our religious leaders have told us we're not under the curse of the law, and now we're coming back to finding out, you know what, there is a blessing in not gossiping. There is a blessing in remembering the Sabbath. There is a blessing in doing what God tells us to do. And so even though we're saved, we're getting back on the path. Why? That all the world may call you blessed. That's what Malachi says, return unto me and I will return unto you. Every, every pastor knows that. Every pastor preaches that continually. Lord, how do we return you? In tithes and in offerings. But it wasn't until recently we realized the offering, we knew what the tithe was, but it wasn't until recently we realized the offering was three times a year you come before me and you don't come empty-handed. What? When's the first one? Passover. That's when the grace and the favor of God is released. Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit and divine wisdom and divine knowledge and prosperity is released. So far, and then the net third one is coming up in Sukkot, which is coming up in, in, in the fall, which is when Jesus was born to us. And so we have been born again, we've been saved, but in these last days, God is going to open up those divine windows of heaven and the supernatural in your life is going to be manifested. Why? We've been saved for 2,000 years, but somebody finally is showing us how to get back on the path. What did he say to Israel? He said, when you do my commandments, the blessing will be so strong, the Gentiles will run to you. Now it's coming full circle that when we who are saved by grace get back, they were saved by grace out of Egypt, and God put them on the path. They kept getting off the path, so God said, all right, I'm going to give this path to other people. He gave it to us 2,000 years ago. We too got off the path, but together we're going to come back, build that house of God with no middle wall, and the Messiah will disperse the light through you so there's not enough darkness to hold back him coming. Somebody shout amen. Now, uh, do you understand how vital this is that I'm teaching? Just as Jesus was rebuking these people for taking man's law and overriding God's law. The church has done the same thing. I, I heard a guy on the radio teaching the other day. Well, you ever wonder why G- Jesus taught on all the other Ten Commandments, but he didn't teach on the Sabbath? It's because he changed it and just went, went right on. He did change it. I said, whoa, whoa. How many people sit there and go, oh, yeah, I changed it, and never study the Word of God for themselves? Because he said Jesus changed it. You know, it, it'd be like me telling you, uh, and by the way, um, uh, uh, Jesus said in his word that you need to, you, y'all need to wear pink on Sunday. And then the Lord God said, well, you know, you'd say, Pastor, show that to me. For 1,700 years, the devil has gotten the church off the path. Why? Because when we're on the path, when we add to our faith their knowledge, 
Then they add to their knowledge our faith with Jesus, the chief cornerstone, that keystone that holds it all together. He said, I will manifest my spirit in in and amongst you. We are going to be that latter rain. Not because we're earning anything. It's because we're learning everything. And the truth we know, that truth will set us free. Amen? Listen, it, it, it sounds like small things, but it's not small things. Remember the Sabbath and keep it. We'll meet on Sunday. Sunday's fishing day. You know, every Sunday, every Sunday, we, how many got saved this Sunday? 83. 83 got saved this Sunday. The week before, 119. The week before that, 89. The week before that, 109. We'd be crazy to change that day. But still, come Friday night, when that window of heaven is going over, stop. Even if you're working, stop and go, Lord of the Sabbath, bring your blessing on me. It's not legalism. I've stood, I've stood in the very field. We were driving on the bus in Israel, and, and there's so many things to see in Israel, there's no way you can see it in 10 trips. In 20 trips, there's no way to see it. And we're driving from one place to the other, and, uh, and uh, Hannah, who's our Christian Jewish tour guide that always travels with us, says, oh, see that field right there? That's where Jesus was when he stopped and picked the wheat. And they rebuked him for breaking the Sabbath. I said, man, stop. Stop the bus. We got out in that field, the very field where Jesus walked. And he's eating the, he's eating the, the wheat. And the religious said, oh, you're breaking the law. He was breaking man's law, not God's law. Let me show you something. Go with me to... Uh, Luke, go with me to Luke, Luke chapter 2. I, I just want to throw this in on you. Jesus had no problem breaking man's law, but he never broke God's law. And a matter of fact, looked at me a second, and he said, you know, it's an interesting statement that he makes in Matthew 5. And he says, if anybody teaches people to do so, they're still in the kingdom, but they're the least. How would you and I like to go from the least into the greatest? And we don't do anything but go back to the Torah. And those who teach people, those who teach people. Now, you, you, you know, I get to teach you. You get to teach your family. Those, you get to teach your friends. You get to teach your neighbors. And we teach people. One of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath and keep it. Amen. It's not legalism. It'd be like saying, you know what, uh, uh, somebody at the door over there has $1,000 for you. If you'll go to that door, you'll get it. Now, you can go, I ain't under the law. And you're fine. Nothing changes. But if you go to the door, you get a grand. Who wouldn't go to the door? That's exactly what he says. Jesus is picking wheat. And they came and said, oh, no, because, see, and, and maybe I'll read something Sunday. You can only walk so far. You can only do this on the Sabbath. You can only do that. You know, and, and the Bible says the light, the, the Torah says on the Sabbath, light no fire. Well, what it's talking about is don't get so busy making a living that you forget who it is 
that gives you the anointing to make a living. That's what it means. He's not talking about legalism. He doesn't talk about, you know, man, I'm freezing to death. I'm freezing to death. Light a fire. I can't. But that's where it's gotten to. As a matter of fact, it wasn't up until about, about 60 years or so ago that they had to declare over Israel it's okay to fight the enemy on the Sabbath. Because the enemy would just wait for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. They would wait for the Sabbath and attack the walls of Israel. And Israel's up there getting plummeted by the enemy waiting for the sun to go down. No, seriously. Because they wouldn't, they wouldn't fight back on the Sabbath. And so they had to get the rabbis to declare, okay, here's the deal. Don't attack on the Sabbath. But if they attack you, go ahead and defend yourself. See, they've taken man's word and they bound people up with heavy burden. Are, are you following what I'm saying? It's like, and that's what Jesus was saying. He said, don't you remember David? The, the, the showbread in the temple was holy. But David and his guys came in and said, you know what, I'm hungry. And holy cow, does this bread look good? And so rather than starving, they ate the holy bread. So what does the church do? Church does the same thing. I don't know if you've ever been. I've been to to places where they give you communion, and they put a little plate underneath. You know what I'm talking about? Because if you take a bite of that wafer, which is the body of Christ, and that wafer falls on the ground and a mouse eats it, he's just eaten a part of Jesus. No, he hasn't. He ate ate a terrible wafer. Religion always tries to take the truth of God and bind men up with heavy burdens. Religion always does that. And you know something I've discovered? Religious people are usually the most unrighteous. They are. If you got to act religious on the outside, it's probably because you don't have much on the inside. You ever see somebody in the streets? You know, they, they, they got to walk around. I mean, they got to put on the bad outfit. You know, they got to have the, you know, you ever see the guys wear the muscle t-shirts with no muscles? <laughs> got to act bad. You know, in my neighborhood, if, if you were bad, you didn't have to act bad. You were just bad. But if you got to act it, you're probably faking it. It's the same thing in the religious world. That's why, that's why God, God, God doesn't want us to act religious. Okay, let me show you something. How Jewish was Jesus? I, I, this just dropped, jumped into my spirit. Look at, uh, we're not, did I have you turn to Acts chapter 2? Okay. Uh, Luke, Luke, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 2. Okay, Mary's, Mary's about to have Jesus, verse 20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying. She's had Jesus, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. When eight days were completed for circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by an angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Joseph and Mary had Jesus circumcised according to the Torah on the eighth day and gave him his name, right? Look at verse 22. Now when the days of purification 
according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him for, before the Lord. According to the Torah, and this is why we do this with your babies, we don't baptize babies. We present your baby before the Lord. I, I don't know about you, but where did man come up with baptizing babies? Man-made religion, man-made law that overrides the law of God. You don't baptize babies. Babies don't need to repent of anything. But what do they tell you? Well, if you, if you baptize the baby, the baby's automatically a member of, of the church. And if the baby dies, then it goes to heaven. Baloney. God forbid a child should die. That child's with Jesus. Whether it was baptized, sprinkled, dipped, hosed down, or squirted. That's man-made law. But we do present the baby before the Lord. Why? To break every curse and release that child into its blessing. Look at verse 22 then. Now when the days of purification, according to the law, the Torah of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. Now let me stop right there. And I don't teach this because, because we got to take everybody line upon line. But, but for every child, especially your first male, you, need, you, you, you should bring them and have them dedicated. Now, I believe every child. And if you, if you read in, into the teachings of the Talmud, they don't limit it to just one, the firstborn. But when you come, obviously, you, you don't come with, a, um, with a, 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 a turtle dove or a pigeon. And so as things began to change, you come before, and we, we have many people do. I've had, I had last, not this baby dedication, baby dedication before that, I had several groups of Hispanic families hand me a little thing with, with uh, five, five gold coins in it. And I said, how do you know that? And they said, Pastor, we went and studied. Okay, and what, you, what you're doing is, is every firstborn that breaks the womb, this is what that's saying. That, that firstborn belongs to the Lord. That's the Lord's. Now, you, can, you, you ransom them back with an offering so that you can have them. You know, uh, I'll show you something here in a minute. There are things, I, I, there are things that we're missing because no one's taught us what the Torah means. We, we can break every... How, I don't know how many of you have older children that aren't doing well. We can break that curse. Amen. You may not physically be able to bring them where I can lay hands on, but you can spiritually bring them where I can lay hands on. Amen. Can I show you something else? Watch this. I, I'll show you something else. Um, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was uh, Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now here's something that it's amazing how little this is taught on. How many times does, does, does our word talk about the Holy Spirit on this man? Led by the Spirit. Holy Spirit spoke to him. Led by the Spirit. Holy Spirit spoke to him. And so the Holy Spirit, the same one that we talk about, led him where? To the temple. So in other words, 
the Holy Spirit must have been on the Jews just as it's on us. Because I see later where Peter and James are arguing, and he says, these Gentiles are not to be separate from us. Because I see the Holy Spirit on them like he is on us. He was on them. We think we got, we think we're, we're the new ones. We think we're the new ones. We have been adopted in. And I wonder by getting back on the path if that Holy Spirit won't just become a bunch of babble and start becoming the prayer language and the manifestation of the Spirit we've been waiting for. Are you following me? Now watch this. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Gosh, if Jesus needed to know what the Torah was, how much more do we need to know what the Torah is? And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now are you letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may reveal. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, and she was a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years old who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers day and night. Number, another thing real quick in here, because I want to get down to something. This go, went to show that women were being used by God long before Jesus uh, 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 set them free. It was man's religion that separated women. And coming in instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him of all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Now, let me stop right there. People say, well, that doesn't matter. Do you believe it still helps to lay hands on the sick? Do you believe it still helps to anoint the sick with oil? Do you still believe it helps to lift up your hands for God inhabits the praises of his people? Okay, God's not changing that. He's just wanting to add the next chapter to it. If, if that has helped us, how much more will it help us learning these other things? Now, let me show you something. I'm about to show you something here. So when they performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. Every year. Okay, that's a 70-mile trip up and a 70-mile trip back. Why? Look at me. Three times a year. You come before the Lord, and you do not come empty-handed. How many want the windows of heaven opened up? 
We're about to see it like never before. Listen, the prosperity message has been taught for years. I've been teaching prosperity for years, and we're seeing a few people prosper, but I want to see everybody prosper. Amen? Well, my people destroy for what reason? So we've been hearing Malachi 3, Malachi 3. Well, read Malachi 4. Return to the law of Moses. Not legalism, not man-made law. God's law. So here's Jesus' parents. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. That's the offering besides. And when he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. uh, They walked a day. Out of, out of Jerusalem, and sought him amongst their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him another day. Two days he's gone. Now it was that after three days, they're, they're, day out, day back, and a day running around Jerusalem, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Now look at this. And he said to them, Why is it that you sought me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? We've heard this scripture how many times? A thousand times. We must be about our father's business. What was his father's business? Now, now don't get me wrong. We ought to witness. But Jesus wasn't witnessing. We ought to pray. But Jesus wasn't praying. We ought to fast. But Jesus wasn't fasting. We ought to give. But Jesus wasn't giving. What was he doing? He was sitting in the house of God asking and talking about the Torah. And so when they came to him and they said, where have you been? He said, why are you amazed? I must be about my father's business. What was his father's business? To know the word of God and to bring the world, Jew and Gentile, together and put them back on the path that we're supposed to be. Oh, somebody ought to shout amen. Do you understand? How many times have we heard this scripture? I must be about my father's business. I must be, listen, I must be about my father's business. I must witness. I must pray. I must fast. I must do it. But above all, I must know the word of God. That is our father's business. Not the word of man, not the laws of man, not the bylaws, but the laws that'll put me on the path and release the blessing of God so I can have everything that Jesus paid for by his blood. Can I have an amen? Amen. Luke 4, chapter 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. What was his custom? What was Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, custom was? To remember the Sabbath 
and keep it holy. And, and, and this only one, I'm, I'm, reason I, I'm grabbing these is I'm writing my book right now and I'm looking at, uh, you know, you know these things, but once you start dominoing them and looking at all of them, it was Jesus' custom to be, to remember the Sabbath. It was the disciples' custom to remember the Sabbath. It was Paul's custom to remember the Sabbath. And it was the Lord, one of the Lord's Ten Commandments. Remember it and keep it. Why? So that you can have a good life and a long life here on earth. Folks, we've been blessed so far. But we're about to get a whole lot more blessed. I believe the latter rain's coming on us. Somebody say amen.